This episode of Intelligent Medicine is brought to you by Healthy Aging, providing you with the unique energy support of Pure NT Factor. NT Factor is the only nutritional formula clinically proven to reduce fatigue, whatever the cause, whether it be age, illness, or just being run down. NT Factor from Nutritional Therapeutics repairs damaged cells and restores healthy bacteria in your digestive tract. Clinical trials have shown NT Factor reduces fatigue by almost half, and it even reverses some symptoms of aging. I've been taking NT Factor for years with a 45-day money-back guarantee of nothing to lose. To order, call 800-982-9158. That's 800-982-9158. Or go to ntfactor.com. That's ntfactor.com. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. And now for something completely different. Uh, I think this may be the very first time that uh, we've aired this subject here on Intelligent Medicine. It's the epidemic you never heard of. It's the crossroads between tick-borne diseases like Lyme disease and food allergy. And it's a very weird phenomenon. Today's guest is Sharon Forsyth. She has created the Alpha Gal Syndrome Awareness Campaign with the purpose of raising awareness about Alpha Gal Syndrome and providing information about AGS, as it's abbreviated for the Alpha Gal community, for their friends, families, and healthcare providers, as well as for the media and researchers, because we actually need to create awareness about alpha-gal. Unbeknownst to some of you, you may have alpha-gal. Uh, a loved one or a friend may be suffering from bewildering symptoms, and it may be due to alpha-gal syndrome. And so uh, it, Sharon has a background in the conservation movement, but after being diagnosed with alpha-gal syndrome in 2019, she searched for information that would help her navigate this complex condition. But she found little, and even allergists uh, had little familiarity with it, and many weren't able to help. So uh, she did a deep dive on the subject. Now she's an expert. Uh, she heads a uh, community of common sufferers, a uh, patient awareness group the Alpha-Gal Syndrome Awareness Campaign. And so without further ado, here's Sharon. Sharon, it's a pleasure having you on Intelligent Medicine. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to speak with you. Okay, indeed. Uh, okay, you know, it may be uh, a little irreverent, but, uh, you know, I might refer to you as the Alpha-Gal. We've heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, heard that one before, but okay. uh, I'll, answer to that. <laughs> I'll refrain. Uh, but, uh, tell us a little bit about what this is. What is alpha-gal syndrome? Uh, yes. Alpha-gal syndrome is uh, an allergy to a sugar, unlike most allergies, which are to proteins. And the sugar is, um, for short, it's called alpha-gal. And um, it's produced by all non-primate mammals and some other organisms um, as well. Uh, for patients uh, who have alpha-gal syndrome, it's primates, uh, non-mammalian primates are our biggest problem in terms of foods and other exposures. 
Okay. Um, yeah. And so uh, it's commonly referred to as a, a meat allergy. Is is that a misnomer? Um, it absolutely is a misnomer. Uh, people originally, um, when it was first discovered, it was uh, discovered in people who reported having reactions to red meat. And at that time, they didn't realize that there was uh, – that there were people who reacted to mammalian, um, other mammalian products like dairy and gelatin and, um, and even mammalian byproducts and all kinds of things from processed foods to personal care products to household products, um, uh, to even fumes produced by cooking meat. So it's absolutely not a red meat allergy. It's much more than that for, um, about 50% of the, population so, so it's um, not for people who are sort of thinking now they might be thinking oh my goodness you know I, it, I i had a steak the other day and i just felt uh you know i felt like it hit my stomach like a ton of bricks uh maybe i have a meat allergy it, it goes way beyond that that sensation of uh satiety or, or fullness right yes absolutely um well in my case i had uh I had um, full-blown anaphylaxis, and 60% of us do have anaphylactic reactions after reading, eating red meat. Um, and often our reactions to different exposures present differently. So, you know, for example, in my case, if I eat red meat, I have uh, an anaphylactic reaction. If I eat dairy, um, I get GI pain and other GI symptoms. If I eat gelatin, I actually get um, reflux. So that, that would preclude vitamins for a lot of people. Many uh, vitamins are in gel caps. Absolutely, or gummy vitamins. Mm -hmm. um, actually, my most severe gelatin reaction was to a gummy vitamin. Mm -hmm. Perhaps also um, collagen product, you know, collagen protein, things like that would, would have traces of uh, alpha-gal. Absolutely. And for people who are very sensitive, for about 2% of the population, um, they react to even trace amounts of alpha-gal in things like magnesium stearate hmm. or lactose. So that's about 20,000 drugs right there that mm -hmm. they have to avoid. And how about how topical things? Uh, certain uh, products are animal protein derived that you apply to the skin, cosmetic products and skincare products. Yes. Um, you know, when I was first diagnosed, um, I had no idea that I would be allergic to anything other than red meat. And I started breaking out in rashes, but it became pretty obvious that it was my personal care products because of where the rashes were. But lanolin is probably the biggest offender. Mm -hmm. Many people don't react to um, other byproducts. And That's derived from products. sheep's wool. Absolutely. It's derived from sheep's wool. But there are other things as well, like glycerin. Um that's a big problem for a lot of people. Um, and just, all, I mean, numerous mammalian byproducts. Mm -hmm. um, one of the projects that we've done is to create a database of mammalian byproducts because there wasn't one. There was no list of mammalian byproducts. We called everybody, you know, the beef lobbyists, the USDA. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, we identified over 600 Wow. So tell us a little bit about your journey. Uh, you know, how did you become aware of this? And then, you know, it, it seems like a lot of people go to doctors and doctors even have less awareness of this or they confuse it for other conditions. Uh, how long did it take you to get a proper diagnosis? Well, 
I've probably suffered from alpha-gal syndrome for most of my life. Um, but uh, I actually only learned about it two weeks before I received five tick bites in a row, hmm. which caused whenever you're, when you have alpha gas syndrome, if you're bitten by a tick, your symptoms tend to get worse. Mm-hmm. So um, I was bitten by five ticks within a two week period. And during that period, a friend who's an ornithologist actually told me about alpha gas syndrome. So um, I was bitten by these t- ticks. Two weeks later, I ate a hamburger, and I don't—I didn't normally eat red meat even back then. And uh, you know, I had a, an, an anaphylactic reaction, and I, you know, I thought of all those medical students who learn about a rare condition and then they develop it. Yeah. <laughs> so I was really suspicious that maybe I didn't have alpha gas syndrome. It just seemed too too much of a coincidence. So I tried eating a few other things had anaphylactic reactions and yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, when you presented this to your physician, uh, what was, what was their reaction? Uh, And how, how many doctors did you have to see before you got formally and properly diagnosed? Well, when I talked to my physician about it, she looked at me (laughs) with a very skeptical expression, but she's a really open-minded individual. So she was willing to, um, to test me for it. And then my number came back really high. Uh, but she didn't know anything about it. Uh, so then I went to see a local allergist. And the local allergist, um, at that point, I had stopped eating red meat, but I was still eating um, dairy and gelatin. And I was having, you know, severe GI issues. And I connected the two because I went from not having GI issues to having GI issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she said, oh, you probably have colon cancer. You know, go Good. see a gastroenterologist. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, then just through online support groups, I learned that this is actually a common phenomenon. I eliminated uh, all the other sources of uh mammalian exposure from my diet and carrageenan because red algae also express alpha gal. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, it, in effect, it's, it's not an animal or a mammal, but it does, it's one of the non mammalian sources of alpha gal, right? Exactly. I mean, numerous, uh, taxa actually produce alpha gal bacteria as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that point, my husband who has had terrible GI issues for much of his life and horrible arthritis said, you know what, my arthritis and my GI symptoms have cleared up. I wonder if I have alpha-gal. So we got him tested and um, turns out he also has alpha-gal syndrome. So uh, what does the testing entail? This is, it's not a routine test because you can, you know, allergists will either skin test you, which can uh, demonstrate alpha-gal sensitivity, uh, but they often rely on a blood test called the IgE RAST. And the IgE RAST, you don't commonly run it for meat. You know, usually run it for more common allergens like eggs and wheat and dairy, you know, perhaps uh, casein or lactalbumin. But they don't generally run it for meat, but it is available. And if you test it for meat, will it come up positive using that conventional test? Um, well, let's start with the correct test. Sure. The test that you really ought to get exists, and it's for some reason difficult to find online. It's the test for alpha-gal immunoglobulin E. Mm-hmm. And it can be done through LabCorp. It can be done through Quest. But 
for some reason, it doesn't pop up in the in the usual menu, which can make it really hard for allergists to find. Mm -hmm. So when I was first diagnosed, my doctor didn't know about the alpha-gal IgE test. He tested me for beef, pork, and lamb. Mm -hmm. And I tested positive for beef, uh, low positive for pork, and negative for lamb, and I think negative for gelatin. Um, and this is actually really important for people to understand because those tests are for protein, mm -hmm. not for right. the carbohydrate. And sometimes they're positive and sometimes they're negative. Um, but whether they're positive or negative doesn't really give you any specific information about the mammalian products that you will react to. Uh, so those tests are actually more confusing than anything else. Mm -hmm. The reason that they are test positive is because alpha-gal isn't floating around in your serum. It's actually attached to proteins and fats. Okay. Um, so, yes, the proteins have alpha-gal on them. Mm -hmm. so, it, so they can sometimes co-react, giving you a positive test, but it's not a definitive test because it's not every culprit food is identified in those tests. And then there, there's skin testing. And, you know, uh, many allergists use skin testing. Would skin testing from, I mean, I've never, I used to do skin testing. I don't think I've ever skin tested anybody for meat. I mean, I tested for more common allergens. But meat allergy, relatively uncommon, like a old-fashioned allergy, not alpha-gal. But if they put in a little bit of uh, the, the whatever they use, for skin testing for meat, is that a true diagnostic method or is it hit or miss? This is actually one of the big diagnostic challenges with alpha-gal is that allergists tend to use skin prick tests, mm -hmm. but skin prick tests are not reliable with commercial extracts of, of meats, mm -hmm. are not reliable for the diagnosis of alpha-gal. And in fact, I've looked at some um, big studies where they tried to determine what the most common allergies were in different parts of the world. And um, when they first collect the data and ask parents what children are reacting to, beef and pork are often very high on the list. But then they test the kids, both through an oral food challenge right. and a skin prick test. The skin prick tests are negative. The oral food challenge appears to be negative. Um, I'm sorry, I can't figure out how don't, to turn that Don't worry out. about it. We'll, we'll, we'll get um, It appears to be negative, but um, they uh, it's just that they don't react while they're in the allergist's office. They mm -hmm. go home and react three to six hours later. Okay, so, so what you're saying is that these reactions may be delayed and not instantaneous, and therefore it's sometimes hard to pin down because you may say, you know, I, I think I'm having an allergic reaction, but, uh, you know, it, it may be hours later, so it's hard to attribute it to whatever antecedent meal you had, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. That's, um, that's one of the reasons why there's so many misdiagnosed people and why it's taken so long for um, the world to even recognize that there is such a thing as a meat allergy, because that's a, a really paradigm-shifting idea. Um, you're supposed right. to react within a half an hour of eating a food. Mm-hmm. In a, in a classic food allergy, you know, like the people who, you know, uh, these lurid headlines, the kiss of death, you know, girl kisses her boyfriend who's had a peanut butter 
jelly sandwich and just merely by having a few molecules of uh, of uh, peanut antigen uh, from a kiss, uh, she develops anaphylaxis and dies. You know, tragically, yeah. that that it, that's a, a classic anaphylactic reaction, and this seems to be sort of betwixt and between uh, classic allergic reactions and uh, uh, you know what uh, you know what is often thought of as a traditional allergy. So uh, you mentioned the the tick connection, uh, and you know, there are different types of ticks. There's uh, the dog, so-called dog tick, uh, which mm-hmm. is large, sort of like the size of a nail head. And then there's the uh, type of ticks that cause Lyme disease and other tick-borne diseases. They're very tiny. They're sort of like the pinhead size ticks uh, that are common in many states, especially the Northeast. They transmit Lyme disease. Do which which ticks are responsible for alpha gal sensitivity? Uh, so, I would love to a- answer that question. But getting back to what you said previously sure. about being somewhere in between a uh, uh, classic allergy and, mm-hmm. and yep. an atypical allergy, it actually is a classic. Um, okay, classic type one sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that. Uh, the primary antigenic form of alpha-gal is fat, and it takes a while to break the fat down. So it's actually an immediate reaction, but the reaction doesn't occur until the alpha-gal is exposed oh, in the okay. round fat. Like, okay. it, that's another way in which it's a completely paradigm-shifting allergy. Okay. So it does... But the ticks... It, go ahead. It's a, it's a, this is a known allergic pathway. It just by the nature of it, it is a little delayed before it uh, causes the immune system to react, yes. um, which makes they call it, it a delayed immediate reaction, which I think is kind of a funny way to describe it. But yeah, so-called immediate hypersensitivity. Um, okay, so then on the on the tick question, uh, mm-hmm. we now know that bizarrely, this is an allergy that is transmitted, right? Mm-hmm. In the United States, um, the primary um, vector sensitization is the Lone Star Tick. And we know that um, because uh, of the geographic distribution of, of alpha-gal overlapping so consistently with the distribution of the Lone Star Tick. However, around the world, there are numerous species of ticks that can induce alpha-gal. And it's thought that... Um, probably most tick species can induce it, just not as frequently. And I think one of the reasons is because um, Lone Star ticks feed on humans at all stages of their development. So you get bitten by like a bunch of larval Lone Star ticks. Mm -hmm. And because you have so many bites, you're more likely to develop like Mm full-fledged. So it's, it's additive. And how about the question of susceptibility? Because uh, I have a an alpha gal patient in my practice, but uh, prior to having alpha gal, uh, she had a, a whole panoply of allergies, uh, and so it, it's almost like her her cup had runneth over, uh, and it was an additive effect that, on top of being a very allergic person with many food allergies to begin with. Uh, she acquired uh, alpha-gal sensitivity and tested positive for it. Is, is there some synergy between being an allergic-type person and the severity of your alpha-gal? Um, so 
actually, different groups have looked at that question. And the U.S. groups have found no relationship okay. between, uh, and the Swedish groups have found a relationship. Mm-hmm. So it's a, an open question. Okay. But so the point being is you can be perfectly fine, get bitten by a tick, and all of a sudden acquire this this bizarre array of, of sensitivities and allergic reactions. Um, yes, absolutely. I mean, people who don't have any allergies at all suddenly are bitten by a tick and then mm-hmm. have this severe, often life-threatening right. allergy. And it, it matters not whether you you know get bitten by a tick and immediately you're given antibiotics or your proper treatment to reduce the risk of Lyme disease or related tick-borne illness, uh, because whatever reaction occurs bypasses the antibiotic efficacy, correct? Absolutely. Okay. The antibiotics don't do anything for it. It doesn't seem to be an infectious process at all. Right. Right. Okay. So in terms of management of this, uh, you know, it requires a great deal of awareness because it's te- it seems to me there's no cure for this. There's no medical treatment. I mean, maybe you can ameliorate it. Perhaps they tell me if there's antihistamines, uh, you know, have some benefit here. Uh, but it, it's mostly by vigilance and avoidance that you can minimize symptoms. Absolutely. I think that's the good news and the bad news. Um, the good news is that I would much rather just have to avoid an allergen than be medicated to cope with it. Mm-hmm. Um, the bad news is it's so pervasive that yeah. it's almost impossible for people who are very sensitive to it. So how how pervasive is it? I mean, you know, I think this is one of those tip of the iceberg phenomena because, it, you know, as you found, it's hard to diagnose. It's kind of insidious. And people vary in their sensitivities, right? There's some people who may have very obvious uh, symptoms and others may have more subtle symptoms, which don't lead them to seek an answer. And they just say, you know, maybe they say, well, I just have some uh, allergic reactions. I get rashes. I have some irritable bowel-like symptoms. Uh, They don't know where it's from. They're not doing the detective work to figure it out. Mm -hmm. It's so pervasive that, I could talk to you about it for eight hours and not <laughs> and not cover all the bases. But like, for example, you know, you can't eat red meat, so you decide you're going to eat fish and chicken. Yeah. Well, chicken is often injected with carrageenan. Ooh. Fish is treated with carrageenan uh, to mask the odor and um, help it retain moisture. Um, cut fruit could be treated with carrageenan. Hmm. And, uh, and gelatin is in everything. Uh, processed foods are full of things like monoglycerides and diglycerides. Mm-hmm. I actually recommend um, that people who are highly sensitive to alpha-gal, which of course is the minority of us, but um, that they completely avoid non-vegan processed foods altogether until they figure out what's making them react. Okay. This is a good point at which to pause because uh, we divide our podcast into two parts. And in part two, I want to talk about uh, what life is like if you're suffering from alpha-gal. Also, uh, does alpha-gal wane with time? There's some thought that uh, it may, for some people, wane in intensity. Our guest is Sharon Forsyth. She's uh, a patient advocate. Uh, uh, Her background is in uh, conservation international conservation, uh, but she herself uh, suffered from alpha-gal syndrome. And uh, as part of her research into its causation and uh, how to cope with it, she created the alpha-gal syndrome awareness campaign. Sharon, uh, how do people find out about that? 
How do people find out about the Africa uh, Syndrome Awareness Campaign? Yeah. Uh, well, um, you, the website that we've created is the AlphaGal information website, and that's where most of the information is. Um, the place where people join the campaign really is on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a Facebook group, and that's where we uh, organize and plan projects and support each other, uh, each, each other's efforts. Great. All right. We'll pause now. And uh, when we return more on the subject of uh, the epidemic you never heard of, and now you have, it's alpha-gal syndrome. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. <laughs> 